0: Good morning. So glad you're here. Perhaps one of the most important things we can know or need to remember in times of difficulty and distress. We've been talking about uh, the book of James and how he wrote to churches in the midst of times of distress. Um, And in times of distress, there are things that we're called upon to do. And the question is, how then shall we live in days like this? Well, we are to live, said James, certainly in faith, in love. But this morning we're going to conclude our study of this book. We're cutting off uh, a number of chapters because of uh, the change here. But at any rate, the question is, how then shall we live in days of distress? And the answer is... Believe in the power of prayer. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Let me ask some questions here. Have you ever felt like the doors of heaven were shut when you prayed? Well, you're not alone. Or if you have ever thought your prayers don't make a difference in an overwhelming crisis, then listen to James teach about the power of prayer. When we minimize the effects of a prayer, we're in essence minimizing the power of God. We cannot shrink our view of God in times of distress. We must increase it. And so, some of the early Christians, I believe, were struggling with some of these same things maybe had some of the same thoughts that we have. And that's why James ended this letter with a reminder about the power of prayer. He exhorted us to pray. He exhorted us to pray in the name of the Lord. In our text here, it will be an admonition to prayer. But before this, in the context... There is much to say about the name of God. And here we bring it right together in our text that we are to pray in the name of the Lord. Listen to James speak to us. He's asking rhetorical questions Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, God has ordained that through our prayers, the prayers of the church, that God's eternal purposes are fulfilled. Prayer is our 24-7 hotline to heaven. Our prayers also enabled us to adjoin the work that God is calling us to. That's how we engage in the call of ministry, whether it be in an office or it be our daily life. Prayer is how we join in the work of God. Our prayers also are important because they are the way that we find communication with God. It is in Jesus' name that we have access into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. How incredible is that? Here we are here, but when you pray, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies through our prayers. And Jesus' name is not like a magic wand that guarantees we get everything we want because we used his name. Rather, his name represents our identity. It represents our righteousness. It even represents our authority that we have in Christ. His name is also our motivation for praying. Praying that his will be done in our lives as he has already ordained in heaven. Our prayers, again, are like a way of fulfilling what God has already ordained. Think of the power that is. If God has declared it, you are praying that it will come to earth. What he declared in heaven? Father, I want it to come through me. I want to be a part of this great work you're doing, of your kingdom. At the name of Jesus... The forces of darkness, they shudder and run. And I've watched that personally. In his name, the sick are healed. And the needs of his people are met. James here in our text has asked three rhetorical questions. And then gives us three quick answers. Question one. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Or let him keep praying as the text would indicate. You see, James asked this question and he expected this answer. Of course, we're really suffering. And the word he used for suffering I think is, is helpful. The word he used for suffering implies more than just physical pain. It includes the idea of deep emotions, deep emotional hurt, even depression that results from harsh treatment or adversity. And that's why if our hearts are broken, we're to pour out our hearts to the Lord in prayer. That's where there is healing through these prayers. And the more we release our anxieties and our burdens and our troublesome thoughts to Him, the more He is able to heal us from the inside out. In Isaiah 40, 29 and 30, He says, the Lord promises the weak strength, the very thing we need when we are sick and suffering. He gives power to the faint and to him who has strength No might he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we are weak. Sick, suffering, depressed, discouraged, pray. Overwhelmed with discouragement, despair, or depression, cry out to the Lord. Confess your sins, your feelings, your fears, your frustrations to the Lord. And the Bible tells us, He will hear you, that he understands, and he has compassion for us. So keep praying. That's what James is saying. Keep praying. If you're suffering, keep praying. The idea here is don't give up on that. Keep praying until you get an answer. Even if it takes the rest of your life to see that prayer answered. Question two, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Again, this is a rhetorical question that James asked because I think he knew, yes, there would be some who would say, yes, we're suffering. And then there would also be those who are saying, well, yes, I have much to praise God for. And that's why Paul in Uh, Romans 12.15 tells us that in the church, in the body of Christ, at various seasons of our life, there's times that you'll weep and times that you rejoice. So he tells the church, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's our ministry together. That's what is love in the body of Christ. God desires for us to have healthy emotional lives. And our emotions are an important part of our humanity. Now, this may astonish some of you, but let me astonish you. We are most like Christ when our emotions find their satisfaction in Him. Depression is common to all of us, it can be a result of repressing and suppressing painful memories and emotional feelings. For many, singing songs and hymns of praise to God have helped break the spring, the spiraling cycle of depression. And that's why James recommends, if you're joyful, sing. Praise God. Psalms, whether they are read or sung, were the heartland of Christ's devotional life and they really are a place for us to go as well. Learning to praise God in our trials trains our hearts to count it all joy when we are encountering various kinds of trials. We know that Paul and Silas did this. Um, when they were shackled in a dark prison, what did they do? They prayed and they sang together at the top of their voices. It became the prelude to their release from the chains that bound them. And you know, prayer and praise can also do the same for us. Singing to the Lord a great hymn or a praise song, it lifts our spirits, whether we are alone or with others in worship. That's why we do this, to glorify God. In glorifying God, we find our pleasure. Praise, I believe, takes our attention off of ourselves and puts it back upon the greatness of our God. When I leave for China this week, I would appreciate your prayers. But when I'm alone at night and it's dark and cold and I'm alone and I'm not sure if anybody's going to come knocking on my door, I, uh, I pray. The Lord becomes very real to me it's like he's there in the room and he is <laughs> and I have a a song that I sing to him and I, I won't sing it to you that would not be fair to you because he said if you rejoice sing but here's what I say Jesus I am resting resting and the joy of who you are I do that he is so worthy of joy he's transforming my soul he's there with me let songs fill your heart and then release these great thoughts to God question again is anyone among you sick duh (laughs) yes call the elders of the church Again, James knew there would be people who were suffering. He knew about that. But there were those who were suffering not only physically, spiritually, but also emotionally. You see, sometimes we only want to have one category of illness, if you would, or a time of difficulty, and we will call that he's sick or she's sick. But the scripture recognizes that sickness is more than just a physical situation. It can be emotional. Even relational difficulties. That's why he uses this word again. Before he said if any of you are sick or any of you suffering, that's the same word. It can refer to spiritual weakness and distress Or, as I said, bodily illness and disease. And James is exhorting those who were suffering and sick to call the elders. Call them to come pray with you. You see, calling the elders, calling others in the body of Christ to pray for you is the first step of our faith. It is an admission that we're in need. It's an admission that we need help. It's an admission that Christ does work through the prayers of his church to meet the needs of his people. But why call the elders? Don't they have enough stuff to do? Well, this is one of their most important ministries. That's why we have deacons, by the way, to carry out many of the work of the the ministry and commit the elders to the things of prayer, the study, the teaching of God's word, the oversight of all the church. Calling the elders for prayer is an important first step of our obedience to the word of God. Very quickly, why call the elders? First, that God ordained to do his work through our prayers. Simple, but most important. Here's where some of you may want to have controversy, but this is my last Sunday of uh, here with you, so I'll leave that up to Pastor Kevin to pick up the pieces. In my opinion, from what I've studied in Scripture, God no longer gives the gift of healing to one man, like the Apostles. But now he gives it to us and to the leaders of the church when we pray. See, before it was in like one man to authenticate the messenger and the man, like the apostles. And then once they had been authenticated and the message had been authenticated, now it's given and says, James, to the elders and to the church. When you pray, when the elders pray, We're accomplishing what Christ wants to do for his church. To bring healing to the church. To bring hope. You see, James tells the elders to come to those who are calling out for prayer. They're not only to pray with them, but also to see that their practical, physical needs are well cared for. It's not enough to come in and say, Let me pray for you, brother, sister. Lord be with you. Be warm, be filled. We're out of here. No, uh, our work has in many ways just begun when you start to pray. As to why he says to us, anoint the sick with oil in Jesus' name. What is that all about? Well, Jesus sent out his disciples to anoint and to heal the sick. Anointing the sick with oil, therefore, served several purposes at that time and may also be an encouragement for us. It definitely had medicinal purposes for the bedridden to comfort them, not having bed sores and all that might go with that. But it also was a visible symbol. Of the Holy Spirit's blessing. They could see it. They could feel it. The anointing with oil. Gives. The sick assurance. Of God's abiding presence. And power. When we pray. For the sick. In Jesus name. And that's why we are to pray. Believing in God's promises. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James assured us that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. He previously told us to pray by faith without wavering or doubt. And it is of interest that when we read Jesus' healing of the woman who had uh, the issue of blood in Matthew 9, that this is what he said to her. Be of good cheer. The same word that James uses of rejoice. Be of good cheer. To exhort those who were cheerful to sing psalms, perhaps maybe saying the same thing to the woman. You're healed, now sing praises to God. That's why praise is so powerful and is so appropriate. Healing, by the way, is not dependent upon having great faith or the elders having great faith. That's nice if you do. But rather we need faith in a great God. I have to admit over the years I've been very angered by things I have heard. I've heard evangelists say to someone who wasn't healed the reason you weren't healed is because what? You all know you just didn't have enough faith. As if it your healing depended upon you. It depends on God. Jesus taught it only took a small mustard seed, which if you put it in your hand, and I have done so, it is so small it's just a little speck. It just takes a, one little seed that can spring up and move a mountain and heal and bring about incredible things. Don't forget the power of prayer. Jesus also told us that a prayer of faith will Save the sick. Now, what did he mean by that? The word to save has two meanings. The first word, or use of the word save, means salvation. That when we pray unto the Lord, that there can be salvation from eternal condemnation. We read about some of this in um, in, Jan- in John, First John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the first step of our salvation. And then we continually pray to the Lord for the cleansing of our life. But there's a second use for save, which means to be restored to health. That is, if it is God's will. Sickness is common to all while we live in these uh, decaying earthly bodies. Sometimes sickness, the Bible says, is appointed by God for his glory and to serve good purposes that we may not even be aware of. But our outspoken faith in our sickness can become a powerful way of glorifying God. Some of the most inspirational testimonies to the love of and the grace of the power of God have come from bedsides. So when we pray for one another, whether you're an elder or not, keep in mind the physical, mental, and emotional needs that should be cared for. Here's what we do when we pray for one another. First, listen. Don't talk. Listen. If you're uncomfortable, sometimes you talk. When somebody's sick, you want to, you want to assure them, no, it's just a, you're going to be fine. You're going to, get re- you're going to get better. We know we are. Just be quiet. <laughs> Listen to them. They need somebody to hear them. What their feelings are. What their fears are. What their guilt is. Be a listener. Ask if you could read scripture to them. Take a psalm or something. And then pray. When we've shown our love to them in practical ways, we're then ready to pray. Once I went out with the elders, my former ministry, to pray for a little girl who was in the hospital. The family asked us to go. Her family had, uh, had heard that this little girl had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. So as we gathered around the bed to pray, I heard an annoying tap at the window of the room we were in. And There were people knocking on the window trying to get my attention never seen him before. I looked at the other people they go, I don't know who these people are. So I dismissed myself to go outside to speak with them. Here's what they piously told me. We have received a word from the Lord that the little girl had cancer because her father had sexually abused her. I'm not going to tell you What I think about people who claim to have such knowledge. That's for another day. But I about flattened them right then and there on the hospital floor. How dare you come in the midst of this? I knew the Father, he was my friend, he was a leader in Christian ministry. He had a stellar testimony and a wonderful family. And here's the amazing these people had never met them, knew nothing about them, other than somebody had said, Pray for a girl who was in the hospital. Here's what they told me You see, we came to pray because your prayers can't be effective. I said, why? They said, because you love the little girl too much. You see, love gets in the way of prayer. (laughs) I said, are you serious? Yeah, you see, you wouldn't pray with authority. You wouldn't go in there and try to deliver this girl. So I did the best thing. I went in the room and shut the door behind me. And I went in to pray with the elders. It was a great time. Now, I want to give you a little prayer praise. Debbie is alive after 25 years and well. Love did not hinder our prayer. It only increased our prayer, our fervency of prayer. James promised that the Lord will raise him up. This is not an unconditional promise that everyone that the elders pray for will be healed. That would be nice, but that's not what he's saying. Actually, this phrase, the Lord will raise him up, is a phrase used to describe the resurrection of the dead. If that be the case, James is assuring the sick and dying that if there is no immediate healing of the body, those who die in Christ can be sure that they shall be resurrected into new life. And sometimes the healing we pray for is answered in death. I know this all too well. Prayed by my father's bedside before he died. Before he shut his eyes, gave his last breath, I was shaving him because I knew he wouldn't want to enter heaven with stubble on his face. It was the last act of love I could give to him. I prayed so many times for my first wife. Tears. Called the elders. We did it all. And she died. She died as we were, as a family, around her bed. And we watched the monitor. And it goes like that. And that was it. What do you say? All the family looks to me and goes, Dad? Dad? I say, "The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." Two months later, I was holding the hand of my mother when she died. Now what's the point of me telling you my grief? They were not healed by prayer, but they were raised to be with Christ. I miss them all. But I find great comfort knowing that they are in the presence of Christ. Sometimes it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that they are enjoying heaven while I'm still down here groveling on the earth. And all God's people said, <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. But don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining and I'm not trying to rush my raising, but I am looking forward to it. And so should you. James further says, And if the sick person's committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, one of the greatest ministries the elders and each of us can give each other is sympathetic listening, as I said before. To listen to the sick and dying without judging their fears, regrets, cries, or confessions of sin. But we are assured that those who call on the name of the Lord, what? They will be saved. They will be forgiven. Here's something to take away for you. One of the greatest gifts you can give to each other and especially to those who are sick or dying is give them a clear conscience. We can be a part of that with them. That's where prayer enters in. Confessing our sins to the Lord and to each other and knowing that there is grace. And that's why James has so many wonderful things to say to us about prayer. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Jesus talks a lot about this. He said, For if you forgive their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What the Lord is saying is before you ask for forgiveness for your own sin, make sure that you've confessed your sin to somebody else. you need a clear conscience. Pray with a clear conscience. Pray to gain a clear conscience. Confess means to agree, to acknowledge our sin. There are times that if you're troubled with temptation in your mind or in your circumstances, if you've committed sin, James said go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ who's loyal, keeps confidentiality and tell them what you're struggling with. For those who are struggling with pornography or other kinds of addictions confess it, get it out, talk about it break the chains of, of enticement. you may find that you need to talk to a pastor an elder or a Christian counselor but deal with it don't let it evolve don't let it become something that can destroy you and destroy others confess your sins when we confess our sins there can be healing There are times where there is public sin, and that will call for public confession and repentance. But that begins the church's restoration process, not punishment. And where there is true repentance, there must be forgiveness. Be quick to listen. Be quick to forgive. But be slow to speak. Slow to anger. And for sure be slow to judge. Paul told us to be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. How? Even as God in Christ forgave you. If you know of someone who has sinned. Someone who is uh, feeling the agony of guilt, no matter how ugly it may have been, forgive them just as God has forgiven you. How has He forgiven you? Everything you've ever thought was bad. Everything you ever said that was bad. Everything you ever did was bad. Everything you should have done, didn't do. He forgave you. I love that. So we can have a clear conscience. This great gift that God gives us and we can give to each other. Ultimately, sin must be taken to where you can find grace. And where do you find Grace. Where do you find forgiveness? At the foot of the cross. And I have to admit, I have to go there frequently. Finally, he urged Christians to pray when distressed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. That's the power of prayer. Then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. That's the power of prayer. The prayer of one, just one righteous person can accomplish so much because there's power in prayer. This was the prayer, the life of Elijah. He stood alone in his generation. He stood alone because he was calling Israel back to God to repent of their sins. And for this, he was constantly rejected and even persecuted. He was God's standard bearer in his generation who paid a high price for his faith. He was a man who was declared righteous in a day filled with unrighteousness. And his example of the power of prayer. He was persecuted like many of these Christians in the first century that James is talking to. He had to escape from death threats. He, like many of the early Christians, he felt alone, outnumbered and overwhelmed. And like them, we too need to be reminded of what? The power of prayer. He's mentioned as a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was just like us. (laughs) He too was born of Adam with fleshly desire. He was tempted, threatened, depressed like all of us. Once he got so depressed, he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would take him. In other words, I've done, I'm done, I'm out. I can't do this ministry over. Uh, just lift me into heaven right now. If you could do it, I just take me out of here. Have you ever felt that way? And that's one prayer the Lord did not answer because <laughs> his work was not done. It was time to go back to work. Go back to ministry that God had called. And it says, Elijah prayed fervently. You know what that means? His prayers were honest, they were sincere, they were passionate, and they were unwavering in faith. There was another time he had to escape his life in northern Israel. And there he prayed fervently and the Lord shut the doors of heaven so it didn't rain for three and a half years. There was a great famine on the land. And it was a visible sign of the spiritual famine that will sweep over over any nation when God shuts up the word of God from the pulpit, there will be a spiritual famine with devastating results. During this famine, the Lord provided exactly what Elijah needed, even giving him food through the beak of a raven. God specially giving to him. And then God answered his prayer again. At the end of this time he prayed and the doors of heaven were opened and rain fell and it watered the fields. The prayers of one man, one righteous believer changed not only the flow of human history, of Israel's history, but also the course of nature. Think about it. That's the power of prayer because the power of prayer is God, not us. Do you ever feel like the heavens are silent and shut to your prayers? Are you ever tempted to ask, How can I make a difference in this wacky world? Rather than letting depression consume you. Pour out your fears, regrets and feelings to the Lord in prayer. Rather than. Letting guilt. Rather rather than letting depression consume you. Pour out your fears, regrets and feelings to the Lord in prayer. Rather than letting guilt weigh you down. Confess your sins and accept God's grace. Rather than giving up on relationships or a problem, pray without doubt. Keep praying. Rather than being perplexed by a life predicament, ask the Lord in prayer for wisdom. He's told us that in the book. Rather than running away from a difficult situation, pray fervently for perseverance. If you are facing any of these things, Remember Elijah. One man. Alone. And what happened when he prayed? He not only changed the flow of history, but also the course of nature. And so can your prayers. So can your prayer make that difference? Because your prayer, your faith, is to a God who is infinitely great and powerful nothing is impossible for him that is consistent with his divine purpose and his holy nature nothing don't be afraid to ask for big things for difficult things to be solved well then how are we to live what wisdom do we have for Christians in distress And James signs off. Believe. Believe in the power of prayer. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for your word, for the comfort, the encouragement that he gives us, for the way it reveals Christ to us. What a wonderful gift is Christ but also your word. Help us to turn our eyes to heaven and to see ourselves and our lives through your eyes, the eyes of Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.